This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. This is Julio Rodriguez, and this is the Lookout Landing Podcast. That was 10 years ago. If you know, you know. Hello and welcome to the Lookout Landing Podcast. If you know, you know. Me on Twitter at mRoberson22. And today we have a very, very special episode of the podcast. We will introduce uh, our guest in a second. But first, uh, none of this would be possible without the one and only Kate Prusser. Kate, what it do, baby? <laughs> Hello, Matthew. I don't know that that's true exactly, but for the sake of my self esteem, I'm going to believe that. Yes, none of this happens without my benevolent dictatorship. If you, Kate, if you weren't here, the whole site would just be, like, us posting about, like, nothing even remotely baseball-related. They'd be like, y'all ever notice Malik Smith's hair? Or, like, what is J.P. <laughs> Crawford doing right now? And, like, a speculation on what he does when he's home from the ballpark and things like that. Nick, I'm sure, would dig up some, some crazy stories and relate them to uh, Anthony Bass's arm slot or something like that. <laughs> you know, right now with the team as it is, I feel like that's kind of all we've like, we are, we joke, but we are, like, actually very close to that. So, uh, one thing we are doing is trying to dial up our minor league coverage, and that is because, obviously, the team of the future is a lot more interesting right now than the team of the present, and that's why I'm super excited about our guest today. Yeah, me too. He is a person that I've known personally for a decent amount of time, I realized, actually, as uh, Father Time is undefeated, and we are older than I thought we were. <laughs> But uh, we are joined today by fellow Eastlake Wolf, Josh Horton. Hello, Josh. Hello, Kate and Matthew. Thanks, first and foremost, for having me on. And yeah, Matthew, it's been it's been a while. <laughs> it is. It is. We're coming up on, well, we're in a weird spot, but 10-year reunion, not that far away now. So. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, you yeah, just blew sorry, my mind Kate. with that. <laughs> uh-huh. um, Josh, do you want to explain who you are and what you do for a living? Sure, yeah. I... Uh, I work for the Everett Herald newspaper up in Everett, Washington, and one of my beats is the Everett Aquasox. So um, this is my first year on the on the Aquasox beat, and um, I've enjoyed it so far. Well, that's great to hear. Uh, for those who want to follow the Aquasox even closer, you can find Josh at Josh Horton, E-D-H, on Twitter. Uh, R.I.P. to Josh's old Twitter account, Snorton Horton, which I greatly enjoyed. There was some good content <laughs> That was yeah. That that's been that's been gone for a while. I think once I try to start try, try to try to trend towards more of a professional Twitter account, that one went by the wayside. Sorry, Snorton Horton is not uh, not professional. Yeah, I promise that's... I do not snort anything 
<laughs> in particular. That was. I that just was assumed a it was like a, you know, like a, like a, like a, yeah, kind of thing. It it derives from uh, my high school football coach, who was who was a particularly old man, um, calling me that. As, so as that, many that high sort school of football stuck. coaches yeah. are. That's true. Snorton um, Horton. That's where it came from. Yeah. I guess yeah. it's better than it Jordan Jordan Horton. Mm-hmm. That, that was freshman sense, year of college yeah. only. <laughs> Uh, yeah, as someone who still has my Twitter account that I made in high school, uh, I'm jealous of the fact that you got to reset because uh, I have old tweets from like 2011 that are fine. There's nothing bad, but it's just like, who wants to party tonight? Like things like that. There's nothing like <laughs> yeah. that's gonna actually get me like canceled. But it's like <laughs> two two eleven a.m. Like, oh, great job, everyone. See you at school on Monday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, th- this is the Twitter account I had in high school as well, and there are definitely some cringeworthy tweets on there. I definitely had to go back and and scrub some of them. Um, oh. In retrospect, I wish I would have kept or made a new Twitter account instead of keeping this one. But um, yeah, please, if you're listening to this, please do not go into deep dive in my tweets. Like that would <laughs> that would be so unfortunate. Um, I think everybody uh, requests that because cancellation is such a constant threat. Um. I know that the prospects, it's its difficult for a lot of them because they want to use Twitter to kind of get their names out there, but I think they're also a little afraid of, of having something like that come up, of having um, something that they say be taken out of context. I, I'm sorry, I'm thinking of this terrible tweet that I saw yesterday where a woman thought it was a good idea to tweet about how white people enjoy having dogs because it reminds them of when they were slave owners wow. and then she was like wow this tweet blew up this is not what i meant by that i do not condone slavery i was like that sounds about right that is i mean she's self-canceled which um you very... honestly love to see that the, <laughs> the, the cancellation on herself which is tough to do uh, you know, I mean, you have this thought that you think is like a really deep thought and, you know, you send it out and the, the filter is just not there all the time. So, uh, I, I understand, but for a lot of us, the way that we get to know these people is through their social media accounts. That's true. And luckily for Josh and for Aquasox fans, these are basically 19 to 23 year olds who are you know, in most cultures, including ours, the dumbest group of people. So, <laughs> not to say that the Aqua Sox are dumb, but we're going to have some, some learning moments, I'm sure. So I'm actually wondering, uh, Josh, have you talked to any of these guys about sort of the adjustment period that comes with their first season of Pro Ball? Because some of these guys obviously were in college like less than two months ago playing in their conference tournaments, and now they're, you know, in Everett, Washington, where I'm sure they've never been before. Some of them all the way across the country. They don't know anyone. Um so have you had a chance to sort of have that conversation with any of the players yet? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it, it is a big adjustment for a lot of these kids, um, not only just being a long way from home. Um, like there's a there's a good portion of um, players that are from like South Carolina or North Carolina specifically, and that's, yeah, it's a... Right, all a, those SEC schools. Yep, yep. And um, I mean, there's a decent amount of local kids on this team, probably more than, than most years. Uh, but nonetheless, I mean, it's, it's still pretty... Know, littered with with guys from from the east coast or you know some of the latin american countries that are you know playing their first professional um season stateside um and, and i think baseball wise it's not that 
bad and as as in terms of an adjustment a lot of the college kids obviously are going from um you know to to aluminum to wood bats but a lot of them have experience at least um doing that in the summer leagues and whatnot that they they play in um at least a lot of more of the high profile ones so um yeah it's something that I, I like talking to these kids about just because it's you know it's kind of interesting to hear that perspective and you know every every kid's got a different story and it's it's kind of cool to to learn about that Anybody whose story has stood out to you, especially that um, somebody who's from a particularly unique background or after they finished telling you about it kind of stuck with you? Um, that's a good question. I've, I've kind of I'm starting to kind of get all around to a lot of these features. Like I have a big, long list of guys that I, I either want to talk to or um would really, you know, like to, to write a feature on and some of them even left at this point. So that's, that's unfortunate for me. Uh, I think Dean Nervais had a really interesting story, although he's in West Virginia now. Uh, I think Kate, you wrote more about that and you probably know more about his story than anything, but he is probably the most unique story I've ever heard in terms of, um, an Aqua Sox prospect this year. Yeah. Nervais' story is like, uh, the stuff that it's like a movie basically. I mean, it's, it's it's intense some of the stuff that he had to go through and um you know a guy that you cannot help but root for once you read about it and we'll try to remember to post a link to that story in here yeah i can definitely do that um josh i'm wondering is there like a media day or a chance for you to meet all the prospects at once or is it just like they show up for the first game and then there's this person in the clubhouse who's coming over to talk to them like how does the the rapport building go with um the everett aqua Sox? Yeah, it's it's actually really uh, laissez faire the way they set that up. They don't they're they're they have you know a PR staff, but they don't really you know work directly with media relations. So a lot of the times, I just kind of hang around uh, like the bullpen area or outside the clubhouse, and I just ask like, hey, do you have a couple minutes when I see them? Um, so it's it's pretty you know it's kind of you just have to go up to them and be like, hey, do you have you have a couple minutes to talk? And that's kind of when you learn about their stories and and whatnot. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, I'm actually not allowed in the clubhouse, um, <laughs> which oh, I, I think is fine. I mean, it's a, it's a minor league team. I don't really need to be in there. It's not, not an MLB club. I don't, not, that's not something I'm going to really, you know, shake my fist at in terms of a decision, but, but that's um, the same in Tacoma. You yeah. not allowed into like the, there's like a hallway kind of area where you can hang out, but Oh, uh, yeah. No media in the clubhouse. In soccer, they call that the mix zone, which I think is great. I think we should have more mix zones yes, in real mix life. Yes, mix zones is a good, it's good, definitely good. But yeah, I just kind of a lot of the times I'm, especially if I'm trying to talk to someone or waiting for someone to come out, um, I'll just stand out there and and occasionally someone will come out and I'll chop it up with them a little bit and ask them how they're doing and kind of you know talk a little more informally, but. Um, you know, it's, it's actually, I actually kind of like it. I really like just having the, the ability to just like kind of stand out there and, um, you know, there's no PR arm I have to go through. I can just talk to them right directly and no one really cares. Um, so that's, that's actually pretty nice. Um, I kind of like having that, that freedom and I don't like getting, you know, like micromanaged or babysit. I don't, I feel like I'm at yeah. a stage in my career. I can kind of handle myself. Right. Yeah. Have you noticed, like, I mean, I'm sure it's not been like, the season is pretty young, right? Like, when did the, the Aqua Sox season start? Uh, ju- June 14th, I believe, was opening day. Okay, so they've had a little bit of time, I guess, around you. But I'm wondering, like, 
when they first get there, especially for some of the people who came from small schools or from you know, a place where there wasn't a lot of eyes on them. Did you notice any of them that are, like, excited to do interviews? Like, oh, someone <laughs> wants to talk to me. Like, I'm a real pro baseball player now. Not to, like, diminish their their status, but I'm sure, like, a lot of these guys haven't done a lot of interviews, and there's a little bit of, like, oh, like a shine on it a little bit. Yeah, a lot of them are, are definitely kind of fortunate, and they're um, – most of them aren't very annoyed. I mean, it's, it's, mm. it's a new process to them, and – it's kind of a, a nice little novelty to the whole, you know, being a professional baseball thing, like you said. Um, so, yeah, I think most of them are usually pretty yeah. excited to talk to me. I'd say Cesar Asturias, who I am writing about for for either Friday or Saturday's paper, is probably um, was the most excited to talk to me. <laughs> but I think he's just excited to do everything in his entire life. So um, I don't think that's <laughs> unique to me whatsoever. <laughs> he's a, He's been a great help to me before in – Tacoma, he was up there just for a little while doing some, um, you know, fill-in work when they were down on some guys up there, and uh, he was always the first to volunteer to translate when I wanted to speak to the Spanish-speaking players. Took that role very seriously, so it's like, you know, I think he was 17 or 18 at the time, so. Yeah, yeah, when I, when nice I, uh, kid for sure. And I think also that comes a little bit from his baseball background. No, for sure. And yeah, I, when I, when I interviewed Juan then he was the guy that translated that. And, um, there's actually, there was actually a lot of guys, they're all kind of leaving at this point, um, in terms of guys that can translate. So I'll have to rely on Cesar like a a lot more, but, uh, yeah, he's, he's really nice, a nice asset to have just having, having someone that can translate for you. Cause, um, you know, especially a lot of those younger Latin guys, they, they can't really, um, speak a lot of English in general, nonetheless do an interview with a reporter in English. So um, it's, it's a nice, it's nice to have him on the team for sure. Uh, you mentioned one thing. You want to give us a little uh, sneak preview of that upcoming article that you're going to be writing about him. I assume you'll be writing about him. Well, I've already written a little bit about one thing. Um, and f- so I, there's, there's a couple of stuff you can find. Um, shameless plug, heraldnet.com. Um, I think backslash aqua socks. You can find all my stuff. Um, but yeah, he's, he's a, has a really interesting profile. I mean, his fastball sits like 95 to 96 at times, um, probably more around like 93, 94. Um, when his off speed stuff is working, he's pretty much unhittable at this, this level. Um, but he can really rely on that fastball. And when he's locating that, he's really tough to hit. Um, he, he's been, he's been fun to cover. I shook his hand when I interviewed him and it was like, I mean, it looked it like engulfed my my entire hand. And granted, I don't have big hands by any means, but I was like, whoa. So, um, I, he's got a really interesting interesting profile. And I mean, he's obviously very young. He's still kind of figuring it out and um, and everything. But super quiet kid. Uh, seems like he works pretty hard. Um, Jose Moreno had a lot of good things to say about him when when he was the manager. Or um, I guess we're not sure what that situation is. But yeah, we'll um, <laughs> we'll get to that. But it, it, yeah, but he's he's. It seems like he's a pretty well respected guy throughout the organization, and they really like his work ethic and everything. So uh, he's certainly one to keep out. I'll keep an eye on. I mean, I'm really I'm really curious to see how he does once he hits some of those more advanced levels like uh, Modesto or Arkansas. Um, obviously, that's quite a maybe a couple years away, but we'll see. We'll see. Uh, do you feel like he's maybe somebody who could get moved up here relatively soon if he's d- just dominating the league like that? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I think it, it's really hard to say how they will approach those, um, you know, younger Latin pitchers. Uh, if they just want to give them a spot where they can, 
you know, stay the entire year and, and say, Hey, like, you know, just work on things you need to work on and just find a, some stability and consistency. I think, you know, there's something to be said about that, but there's also, you know, there's a point where you're just not going to get any better if you just dominate the league. And, right. um, you know, he's, he's, he, I mean, he's had his struggles. It's not like he's, he's absolutely blown teams away, but when he's, when he's been clicking, I mean, it's, it's, it's really impressive to watch. I think that's something that we're seeing the team do a lot more this year is um, they're promoting guys who, I mean, I don't think are totally, totally dominant. Like, Logan Gilbert is making his AA debut right now. He was great for the first few innings, and things have kind of, the wheels have kind of come off here in his fifth inning of work, sixth inning of work. Um, But they really seem interested in giving guys challenges and in... um, you know, maybe not everything is there. Logan Gilbert still kind of learning his command, still working on his changeup. Will get into long battles with hitters. Will sometimes have that command slip, which is what's happened to him in this game. Um, but they want them challenged. They want them to be kind of up against uncomfortable, up against something that's a little outside of their comfort zone. And um, I was. I guess not surprised exactly, but uh, Austin Shenton got that promotion to West Virginia where he's been crushing it a little bit. Uh, We did get a question from our own Nick Stillman, um, who asks about the legend of Austin Shenton. So talk a little bit about what you've seen from the Mariners' fifth rounder. Yeah, yeah, he he got off to a little bit of a slow start in Everett, but it didn't last very long, and... You know, he, start, he started to really get going, and then he got injured. Uh, I think it was a left knee injury. He sidelined him for maybe a week. And then after that, he just picked off right where he left off. was just absolutely raking. Uh, his feel for the strike zone is, I think, pretty advanced. Uh, it seemed like he didn't really you know, you know, know, swing at a lot of pitches he shouldn't be. Um, he's just a very, very mature hitter, and you could tell that you know, some, some type of promotion was, was going to be imminent. I, at least that's kind of the feeling I got. Um, from seeing awesome, awesome play. And, um, you know, he handled third base really well. And, you know, he's not a guy that's going to wow you with his glove by any means, but he's definitely a capable guy on the hot corner. And, I, you know, he's, he's a really interesting player. I think, um, you know, if he can kind of add a little bit more power um, to that swing, um, and he's already shown quite a bit of pop, I think he could he could really rise up the system really fast, and he's already shown that he can. Josh, I think uh, – um, Oh, sorry, go ahead, lot- Matthew. Oh, no worries. I think for a lot of people um, that are following the Aqua Sox, um, the names that they recognize are usually the high round draft picks, like your George Kirby's or your Williamson's, and then maybe the ones who actually have unique names, which we'll get to in a second. But I'm curious if there's a a prospect that maybe didn't have as much hype around him or much of a pedigree that you've noticed um, that has stood out on the field in Everett so far. Hmm. That's, that is a very good question. Um, you know, Reed Morgan was a guy that caught my eye, even though he's up to at West Virginia. He's just got really nice stuff, and um, <laughs> excuse me, and it, it just seems like it it will play really well um, at at a you know a high level at some point. Um, you know, obviously if he takes those those progression steps that he needs to, um, yeah, he's he's a guy that stands out. Um, you know, even though he has he has not hit whatsoever in Everett, um, Miguel Perez is a really interesting player. Um, a guy that can just fly around the outfield. He's got elite speed. He's only 18, and this is a really aggressive assignment for him as an 18-year-old. Um, and he's shown a little bit of a little bit of pop at, at times. I think he, 
um, get a leadoff homer in one of the Aqua Sox uh, games in their first series with Tri City, and just he he could be a really interesting player if he if he can kind of figure it out. He's a little wild at the plate. It seems like um, needs to maybe rein in that um, pitch selection a little bit in terms of uh, you know hitting, but. Um, he's a guy that caught my he's caught my eye a little bit as well um, as a as a really interesting player. Yeah, Perez is one that stood out to me again because of the athleticism um, and also just his personality. Like he's a huge personality, really fun kid, um, fun player, and it's just the strikeout the strikeout rate is. Is, is pretty rough. But like you said, definitely an aggressive assignment. Um, what's interesting to me about Reed Morgan, who you mentioned earlier, is he is with West Virginia now. And Kyle Yeomans, who is the one of the announcers in West Virginia, actually announced a Texas League team, I think, that, that he played for, like a summer league team in Texas. Hmm. Um, so has some familiarity with him. And said, you know, just the sinker is super nasty and was impressed by him then and so has kind of that background and was saying that there were a bunch of scouts sitting in front of him when um, Reed Morgan made his West Virginia debut and all of them just kind of sat up, like started taking notes. Uh, His stuff kind of jumped that much. Yeah, he's got a funky release too. I mean, it's just it's it's really interesting to watch him pitch because it's so unorthodox. So um, he's definitely one. I mean, if you if you have a milb.tv subscription and you throw on a West Virginia game, you definitely sit and watch him pitch if he's coming out of the bullpen. It's it's quite entertaining, I'd say. Cool. Yeah. And some of our readers will remember Reed Morgan as the son of Beef Dad who is his dad. I don't know his name, but he took a great Instagram picture with Reed and beef dad is, I'm going to say approximately six, eight and maybe 310 (laughs) pounds of all muscle, at least 50 (laughs) tattoos and a nice set of AirPods. So we're rooting for both of them for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, We love the beefy dads. Yes. Josh, uh, I'm glad that Kate mentioned scouts and sort of the things that uh, they pick up on because I was curious uh, for you, I'm going to ask you to put your scout on, your scout hat on for a second. Like, obviously, this is a low level of the minors and you're not looking for, you know, an 18 year old to be big league ready right away. But I'm wondering when you're watching the Aqua Sox, like, are there specific skills or tools that you're looking at that you think, oh, you know, like, yeah, their body isn't where it needs to be, but they have X. And if they can keep doing that, that's a projectable skill to the next level or even just to get them a quick promotion. Like, what are the the traits you look for um, when sort of doing armchair scouting of these guys? Sure. Yeah. And I'm, I'm definitely not a scout. I don't come from a scouting background. I don't really pretend to. So it's hard That's for me to say. <laughs> um, but nonetheless, I, I kind of like I like to look at their strikeout rate if I'm if I'm looking at a guy that might move move pretty quickly because um, that usually is an indication of a pretty mature approach and um, you know not swinging and missing a bunch of pitches so um, you know the, those you know those guys that are that are hitting and they complements with a with a pretty you know respectable you know strikeout rate like for example Shenton I mean you're striking out 16.3 percent of the time which is one of the the team lows and um he was obviously hitting to go on top of that so that's kind of something I like to look for as well um if guys can just you know show some some nice you know flashes of of good fielding acumen in the field as well that's something that um kind of is 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 an indicator that they 
you know, or, or might be ready to move up if they have some of the other tools that, that complement that just because um, a guy's not going to get promoted if he can't field his position. It, I mean, that's, I mean, it, it can happen at times, but you know, if, if a guy needs work on his defense, they're going to let him work on that. Right. Defense might be a good, um, segue into what I want to talk about next. Um, because the Aquasox have been like, maybe a little sloppy on defense. I think they had like a three error inning the other day, which it's low a ball. Like that kind of stuff happens. Definitely. Um, it's developmental baseball, but I was wondering if you'd noticed the same thing, like maybe, maybe a little bit of, a little bit of defensive miscues. Yeah. That, I mean, yeah. Like kind of like what you said, that stuff does happen in this league. Um, I've had an internship covering this league before, um, covering the Spokane Indians when I was in college in Spokane. I remember the Indians, I think at a seven error game. Oh um, dear. Yeah, it was awful. And it was, it was very like routine plays, like routine pop-ups that were 2019 Mariners. Hold our beer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, and, and of course the manager said that was the worst baseball game that they, he's ever seen play. And th- that just stuff happens in this league. It's so quirky. Um, there's, there's, there's some personalities that come through this league too. Um, and that's kind of what you get in this league a lot of the times. Yeah. There's, there's been some, some bad defense been played at times. And I, I don't think that's really emblematic of kind of who the Aqua Sox are in terms of, especially if you look at the infielders, um, like, like Cesar Asteris Jr. I think is one of the more slick fielding infield guys, you know, at the lower levels. Um, you know, Patrick Frick is a guy that can play kind of all over the diamond and, you know, he can, he can flash a lot of there every once in a while. Um, Luis Joseph is a guy you can move kind of all around the diamond. So it's, I don't think, I don't think it's necessarily like a, you know, they, they're lacking in, in, in good defensive players. I think they've just had some games that have gotten away from them. And this that that's kind of what happens in this league sometimes. Is you could just get some just absolutely wild error totals. <laughs> right. Well, the defense is about to get a little better, maybe, because uh, we have a we have a managerial change going on, it seems. Um, and Lewis Boyd, who was a 2017 Mariners draftee and then kind of played 2018 and this year has been moved into a coaching position, um, has been down in Modesto specifically working with Joe Rizzo on his defense. Um, but now is, uh, is apparently going to helm the Aqua Sox. So talk to us a little bit about the, the timeline of what happened with the managerial change. Sure. Yeah. Um, I can give you a little bit of inside baseball in terms of, you know, what, uh, what, what kind of led to, um, Moreno's initial suspension. Um, I, I don't know how much I can really comment on, uh, Boyd being implemented manager because I have not been able to seek confirmation. Although I know Kate, that is something you reported. So I trust it's, it's accurate. I just need to, to finally get the, the confirmation from, from the Mariners organization, which has been incredibly quiet up to this point. But Moreno was suspended um, for a week uh, last Tuesday for um, undisclosed reasons, and that's something that I learned about um, based on uh, Pat Dillon's pregame note that um, he was suspended. So I reached out and said, you know, what's the deal with the suspension? And they said it was one week, and um, that's something that the Mariners declined to comment for reasons. Andy McClay, Andy McKay, the the Mariners' um, 
farm director said basically no comment that's not anything that's uh going to to be made public so we may never know exactly why jose moreno was suspended but he was suspended a week by the mariners organization uh not the northwest league and um it seems like uh you know if your reporting is correct um which i'm sure it is that um he won't be back with uh, the aqua Sox at least we're not entirely sure if it's um you know an organizational oust in terms of moreno who's been with the mariners for 19 years he's been He's been a staple in this minor league organization. So um, it's, I'm really curious to see kind of um, or hear more about that and and uh, learn a little bit more. But the Mariners have, uh, have not responded to any attempts for a statement or uh, for questions thus far. So um, until then, we'll, we'll wait. We'll wait patiently. But that's kind of what it seems like is uh, is kind of the, the nitty gritty of the situation thus far. Going back to the previous suspension, we've heard some speculation that it had to do with a, the handling of a game in Eugene, where which kind of devolved into a beanball beanball war. Uh, so, kind of speculating or pulling out from that a little that maybe the Mariners weren't happy with how the leadership was executed in that situation. Yeah, uh, it's po- it's possible. I mean, I. I've, I haven't heard anything concrete in terms of, you know, what the suspension was for, unfortunately, um, which is which is odd because, you know, silence leads to speculation. So um, it, it gets people to think about crazy things. And um, I, I, I mean, I was told that it was not nothing off the field in terms of for Moreno. So it wasn't anything um, nefarious, at least in terms of, you know, an off the field incident, um, which maybe would indicate more of an on the field thing. Um, but I guess we'll I guess we'll never we'll never really know um, unless someone within the Mariners organization wants to speak up and uh, and say you know why he was suspended and and we're not sure you know why he's not with the uh, with the team anymore if if your report's true as well so there's a, there's a lot of there's just so much um, uncertainty surrounding this um, situation and a lot of reasons that haven't been given and it's kind of been kind of a wild goose chase up to this point. So for those of us who weren't keeping tabs on the Eugene Everett game that you're talking about, <laughs> um, what exactly, was it just like a classic, like you hit one of our guys, we're going to hit one of your guys, or was it mostly coming from the Aqua Sox? Do we know if it was like retaliation for what, you know, Everett might've thought was like a pimp job on a home run or what led to this, uh, this beanball war that Kate mentioned? See, it's that's hard for me to say personally because I wasn't at the game. It was on the road, which is okay. it's very tough for tough for me because I just there's only so much I can do on the road in terms of, you know, following the team and you know, I can listen to the broadcasts and all I want, but um you know, even then sometimes you just kinda have to be there to kinda get the nuance of the situation. Um I, I mean I, I'm sure it was it was something, you know, pretty you know, the unwritten rules of baseball sort of thing, um, you know, if, if there was something that divulged. But it, the, I think the, the game in question, um, there was only two ejections, and it was uh, Jose Moreno and Cash Gladfelter. So <laughs> um, I'm not sure Cash Gladfelter was trying to hit anyone on purpose. Um, that would that would be my guess. Uh, oh, that, for those was that, when, know, that was when he was a pitch uh, – he was a position player pitching. Yeah, and, and no someone. one – yeah, and, and no one – I, I I mean for for yeah for those people who don't know Cash Gladfelter is very much not a pitcher, although I think he can throw like high eighties. Uh, but but um, I don't think he's uh, he's got the best command with that by any means. No 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 that was 
uh, I remember seeing that on Mariners Miners Twitter go by that he was ejected for hitting a batter. Yeah, that just seemed to be like a messy, a messy slop fest of a game overall. Um, but that seems like a crazy reason to fire someone, right? Like, again, I don't, I have no idea what's going on in the Northwest League, but I mean, that seems like that happens at least you know once a year to every team. It seems like where they have a bunch of guys getting hit by pitches, and no right. one ever gets fired over it. So it's very interesting. I remember a I remember a beanball war last year that involved Josh Storrs getting hit and uh, Clarence taking except our 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 good friend Clarence Storrs Josh Storrs' dad taking yep. great exception to that. So uh, the Northwest League can get chippy. I mean, right? Don't wouldn't you agree with that assessment, Josh? Since it is so small and uh, a lot of guys fresh out of college wanting to prove themselves. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I would I would agree with that. I mean, um, some of these games get really ugly, and that can produce some some kind of uglier parts of baseball. So, yeah, I would agree with that. And, yeah, it is an only an eight-team league. I think that's a good point where these guys see each other so much. And even though there's a lot of churn on rosters, you know, you get kind of familiar with each other. And, yeah, I mean, for example, I mean, some of these teams might see Damon Cassetta Stubbs three times this year. Um so just that's just yeah, it's kind of the nature of the beast a little bit with the small league and also, you know, like you said, some some guys that are trying to come in and prove themselves and um, you know these are these are this is a new group of people. I mean these none of these guys know each other going into the league. Um, at least for the most, I mean there's there's some connections probably, but for the most part, I mean a lot of these guys are kind of you know all new to they're trying to prove themselves, their teammates, um, they're trying to prove they're you know good enough to be in this organization. So. Yeah, yeah, that that probably comes into play a little bit, but this league, I'm telling you, it's 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 a joy to watch. I watched the uh, in live in person the walk off Bach uh, to win the championship last year between oh. Eugene and, and uh, Spokane, and that was uh, that's pretty much emblematic of what this oh, league the Northwest into. League. Yes, yeah. I, I would agree. <laughs> yeah, who could forget? We all remember where we were on the walk off Bach. <laughs> I was standing by the Spokane Indians dugout, and they were not happy. <laughs> I bet. Because <laughs> I thought, they, I mean, they were in position to win. And then, uh, so I was going down to talk to uh, to those people. And, uh, yeah, it didn't, didn't turn out that way, unfortunately, <laughs> for them. So, Josh, also, um, as a person who's around the Northwest League, a person who specifically covers the Everett Aqua Sox on a pretty much daily basis, you are in the glorious position of getting to read write and say a bunch of names like cash gladfelter and utah jones and trent tinglestad uh so i'm wondering if you have a favorite name on the roster so far um that could be either to say out loud a fun name to to type or write or just one that you personally find humorous i'm curious um because there's a lot it's a rich text if you go down this roster it's a rich text (laughs) at least six or seven what i would consider 70 grade names or above so let's hear from the expert what do you think is the best name oh man there's some there's some tough ones uh i i think it's pretty hard to beat cash gladfelter I think that's a that's a that's such a solid one. I like Cash Gladfelter. Patrick Frick is also, I think, a pretty underrated one. Um, yeah, there are some there are some wild names. There's none of them that are like particularly tough to spell, which I appreciate because uh, that can get kind of hairy, especially that's if you're trying point. to write on if you're trying to write on deadline. You're trying to spell um, something some just ridiculous name. Then yeah, that can get a little difficult, but. Um, I think I think Cash Gladfelter would be my my go-to in terms of favorite name on the team. 
I like Cash Gladfelter not only because it is a fantastic name, but also because he really leans into being Cash Gladfelter, uh, cla- Cash Daddy. Uh, he's he's got a bunch of different enjoyable nicknames and handles and uh, various things. So I, I appreciate him just totally owning being Cash Gladfelter. Uh, I want to put in one for a vote for Ivan Fortunato as well, which is. Uh, one of my favorites, especially because he is a scary-looking individual. Which you are unfortunato if you meet him on the mound. <laughs> Juan Mercedes, another good one. Oh, that's a great Kip, one. Kip Rawlings with two Ps. Kip Rawlings, yeah, that yeah. that's a that's a golden one. Um, speaking of just kind of the. I mean, I feel like we've covered a lot of the roster in general, but is there anyone else who you think is maybe underrated or not getting talked about enough who's just a solid contributor every day or someone who's like a sleeper guy that we might want to watch out for in the second half of the season here? Sure, yeah. I, I think when you when you mentioned um, kind of those under-the-radar guys, I failed to mention Damon Cassetta-Stubbs, who has flashed some very interesting stuff. You know, a, a sinker that sits in the low 90s and a absolute wipeout slider. Um it's yeah it's it's a ter- it's a terrific um one two punch in terms of pitches so he's he's a guy if he can kind of clean up his his curveball and change up and and get those um a little a little bit more uh productive i think he's a guy that that could that could possibly you know be a pretty decent player for the organization yeah in DC- terms of oh sorry oh go ahead no DCS- you go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> dcs is one of the highest upside arms in the org i think he's um you know, he's just so young, really. And coming out of Vancouver, Washington, Kingsway, he wasn't exactly like... This isn't a guy who was like on the big showcase teams necessarily. He wasn't on Team USA or anything like that. Um, he definitely played some high-level ball, but it's a little different when you're not coming out of one of those prospect hotbed states like Texas, California, Florida, uh, as a high school arm. So I think there's just a lot of untapped potential there. Um, And he is so big and just really, I like the way he goes about his business on the mound. He never seems to get too high or too low. Uh, Even though the Mariners have challenged him a lot this year, they sent him to West Virginia, which was really a struggle for him um, dealing with those advanced batters. But, you know, they wanted him to get a taste of it and, it just kind of shapes your experience. Like, oh, okay, these are the guys who are really, really good, and this is the level I have to get at to be at that level. Uh, it's something similar to what they did with Logan Gilbert when they threw him into a spring training game against a major league lineup in Cleveland. You're like, okay, here you go. Like, do what you can. Just kind of expands their horizons as to like, okay, this is this is the level I have to work at. Um, yeah, for sure, for sure. And and kind of to answer your your actual question um, before, just kind of a you know a regular contributor that's that's done a good job. I mean, Gladfelter, Cash Gladfelter has been been pretty solid. He told me he made a pretty um, he revamped his swing throughout through the off season. It's produced a lot of results. He had more of an athletic swing that could kind of get by with Division two batters, and now he's he's kind of cleaned up his mechanics a little bit, and it's it's showing for sure. He's got three homers, which is tied for a team lead. Um, Trent Tinglestad is is you know a guy that's been in the lineup basically every day, um, and he's been you know he's been really solid. He he's a guy that um, you know walks a good amount for 
a guy that's kind of known for for having a lot of pop. So he's he's kind of an interesting player. And then I, I think Carter Bins, who um, was kind of regarded as a defensive wizard um, mm-hmm. coming out of coming out of college at Fresno State. And I'm not sure I've seen you know an absolutely you know like a like a defensive wizard out of him quite yet. But he's definitely you know pretty advanced. It seems like it. He's a guy that it looks like pitchers really like um, working with in terms of game calling, and he's shown some power. He's got three homers this year, so um, he's he's definitely an interesting guy as well. Great. Okay, I want to ask a different question that has nothing to do with baseball. It's <laughs> yeah. baseball adjacent, but okay, um, it starts with a story. So last year, uh, some of us from Lookout Landing uh, were in Everett for uh, a game. This was when Robinson Cano was there as well, but it was a. Uh, sort of a fundraiser deal where it was us versus uh, 710 Radio. And then between innings, there was like a contest where uh, our own Bongos, Bronsden, and John Troopin participated in this game where I believe it was uh, Bongos was holding a net and John was throwing pizza boxes at him and they had to catch them. And to their credit, they kicked ass. It was a blowout win for Lookout Landing. They did, yeah. (laughs) We destroyed the 710 team. We did, RIP to them. Um, but my question to you, Josh, is is there a, a favorite in-between innings activity that you've seen or some sort of giveaway or like something that's not part of the actual baseball game, but like a between innings or a scoreboard thing that you've uh, taken to this year? Hmm. That is a good question. The pizza game is definitely a staple. Oh, they're um, still doing the pizza game. Oh, yeah. yeah oh, fantastic. They, they continue to do that. Um, do they keep stats on that? Because I feel no, like... No, <laughs> once you come up with a good idea, you, you well, don't I'm wondering let a good if... idea like that go. I'm wondering if we broke the record. They were shooting like 85%. It was uncanny. <laughs> you know, I highly doubt that they have someone tracking that sort of stuff. Like, <laughs> But, you know, I'll ask. I'll put in a word for you. Thank and you. And see if, see if you guys hold, hold I mean, the record you're, still. You're there. You could, it's not that hard to keep stats by hand on that sort of thing. It's, did they make it or did they miss it? But anyway, that's not actually your job, <laughs> I guess. No, definitely not. <laughs> Uh, favorite between innings thing or promotional? I mean, they well, they there's a there's a new thing at at, at the Everett Stadium, which is obviously named Funko Field now, um, based on the uh, the Funko naming rights to the stadium. So they're doing this thing called Funko Friday, um, where they're handing out you know those those pop uh, bobbleheads or whatever you want to call it. I'm not super into that stuff, so hard for me to really describe it, but and there's like these little like bobbleheads that Funko does and they, they do like custom like Webley, the mascot ones. And it's very entertaining to see people lined out like a thousand people lined up for these bobbleheads. It's, it's just absolutely Okay. They're figurines. Wild. First of all, yes, they're figurines. figurines. Thank you. And Thank I think you. just calling them Funkos, like people know what the Funko brand is. Yeah. 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 The head, the HQ Funko HQ is in Everett. So, um, there's kind of a nice little synergy there. Um, and yeah, people, people are super into it and it's just, it's kind of a spectacle to see, um, the people trying to rifle through the boxes to get the limited edition ones. And yeah, people, people, people take that stuff seriously. That's for sure. Yeah. I actually have a cousin who works for Funko and, uh, she was telling me about one of those Funko Fridays where she was like, you know, going from her office, like past the stadium or to the stadium or whatever, and saw that massive line and apparently her boss was like, oh, well, it's good that some of our, like, most devoted customers are getting outside. <laughs> because apparently that, is, <laughs> apparently that is the reputation of the serious Funko collectors. So it's a win-win for both the Aqua Sox and Funko buyers. 
more people at the games and sunshine for the for some much needed vitamin D. Sure. I just yeah. thought that story was really funny. How like putting them at a baseball game is like one thing that will get these people to come <laughs> outside. And I'm sure a lot of the Funko collectors are very nice, lovely people who do go outside. But I do think that that is a little bit of the stereotype. It's very, uh, very mom's basement sort of thing. For sure. And I, I, I'd have to. This is this is a good runner up to this. I'm pretty sure. I'd have to double check the actual facts in this, but I'm pretty sure if you hit the scoreboard in right center field, you win a suit. You can win a suit, oh. which I think oh. I think is pretty wild. That is true. That's some useful. Of these, Very some useful. Of these, yeah, some of these guys might need suits, so it's kind of a that's. I'd be aiming for that if I was if I was them. I'd be I'd be wanting to win a suit. Yeah, I'd be hoping for that and for a, a big leaguer to make a rehab assignment because we've heard stories of the Robinson Cano spread and it definitely involved. Uh, steak and crab legs, from what we were told. <laughs> yeah, Sam Tuivala uh, was made a rehab assignment in Everett, and you know he's obviously not making the money that Cano does, um, but nonetheless, I think he put out a pretty nice spread for for those kids, which is much appreciated because outside of you know George Kirby and Brandon Williamson, um, a lot of these guys are not you know flush with cash or spending money, so um, that's always a nice gesture. I, li- I like hearing those stories. That's a good point. Okay, actually, before uh, moving on, I do want to ask you about Kirby and Williamson because you have actually seen them in person. Yeah, both their starts were at home, weren't they? Or is that am I wrong you know, on that? I, I actually, well, th- their first starts were at home. I haven't seen them because I was out of town for a bachelor party that weekend, which was oh. just absolutely terrible timing. I was very upset. <laughs> yeah, um, how dare your friend get married when George Kirby's pitching? I know. People do I know, not but have it, priorities. <laughs> Well, I think it was a it was a very late announcement, but I I mean from everything that was being said, it was mid July was kind of the time they were going to join the rotation, so it made sense. So I can't be that upset. Um, but no, I I from what I've heard in terms of their their bullpens leading up to their starts and the starts that they've actually made in Everett, it's been pretty uh, pretty unbelievable to watch. I mean they got they got pretty electric stuff. I mean the fact that Kirby can can hit ninety eight is is pretty. I mean, pretty impressive, especially with that pinpoint command he has. Um, I heard his uh, his live BP um, right before in Vancouver, right before he made his first start, was uh, pretty unbelievable. Um, I th- it wasn't an immaculate inning, but I, I think he he retired three batters in like ten pitches or something. It was just it's just not fair. Some of the the stuff these guys have, you know, in this league, where you know some of these hitters are very young and some of them are not very advanced. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of the charm of the league, I think. I also really liked when we were there. Uh, I mean, obviously, it was kind of a spectacle because Cano was there. But, like, he took his last at-bat, hit a grand slam, yes. and then just disappeared into the woods. Like, <laughs> you could, like, see him the whole way. Like, he's like, okay, bye. Goes into the dugout, like, gets his stuff, and then just walks, like, behind the stadium <laughs> up towards, like, a weird, like, shack-looking thing. It's and, like, their oh, clubhouse. Goes, like, that's the Everett clubhouse. <laughs> Right, yeah, the club which house. had like oh. a special Robinson Cano room, like <laughs> so he didn't have to slum it with the minor leaguers. Yeah, if you if you want a great story about Cano, and I'm not, sh- I'm I hope I'm at liberty to to say this. Um, apparently, that he was supposed to play that Sunday in Everett, and uh, Everett has 4 p.m. Sunday games. So he he told he asked someone at the organization, he's like, "You guys don't play one on Sunday?" And they're like, "No, no, we play at four. And he's like, "Well, like, all right, I'm not playing then." And they're like, okay. uh, no, I think you, you should you should play. No, no, no I'm not. I'm not going to play. <laughs> so that I think that was a nice little. I think anecdote that might have been the day that he sent himself to Tacoma. Like 
he, yes. he, he said like basically okay I'm I'm done with my rehab here I'm going to but it wasn't like team directed at all it was him just deciding he, he wanted to go play at one o'clock at Tacoma that makes much more sense now yeah, that's. I think that's. I think that's about accurate. And it's funny how the players just kind of they don't they don't stick around for the game, or at least not all of them do. They just kind of they do what they need to do, and then they just you know kind of pack up their stuff and leave. Like uh, I interviewed Toyva Ala as he was leaving the field, and I had to like it was like I had to leave after the first inning because he was he was just out. <laughs> and I interviewed him like right on the concourse, um, right just right as the game was going on. For like a minute and then he then he was then he was gone he disappeared in the horizon yeah. i mean no offense to Everett, but uh not a place the major leaguers want to stick around necessarily yeah i can imagine they're they're going looking to get out and kind of explore the nightlife a little bit and you know the charms of the city mm-hmm. i'm sure. sure that's what they're doing sure, absolutely. yeah they're not they're not going straight down i-5 no 100 percent. no, <laughs> no you gotta you gotta see the sights really drink it in is what i would do at least it's a once in a lifetime <laughs> opportunity and you also get to hang out with Webley, which leads me to a Twitter question from our very own Eric Sanford. Eric, thank you for the question. Uh, Eric simply wants to know, scale of 1 to 10, how terrifying is Webley, who is, for those who don't know, the Aqua Sox uh, frog mascot? I'd give Webley about a 6. I think he's a 6. Oh, I think that's I, fair. I don't, find him that, I don't find him that creepy, honestly. It's the I think eyes. The eyes are creepy. The, the eyes, yeah, the eyes are a bit off-putting, but I've seen creepier. I think uh, I think I've seen creepier, so I put him on a six. six I mean, scale. we have Odie the Swamp Possum right here in our own organization <laughs> as the Traveler's mascot, plus the terrifying mm. headless Modest- necklace Modesto nuts. So yeah, I gotta in the scary mas- Mariners mascot power rankings, like rhubarb and the moose are cool. They're cute. They're up at the top. Uh, Webley's somewhere in the middle, I think. Odie and the Nuts are way at the bottom. <laughs> yeah, I think that's about fair. I think that's about fair. My only thing with Webley is he's way too Rainforest Cafe. Like, they almost <laughs> look like the exact same thing, and I have a hard time distancing themselves in my mind because when I was a kid, we would go to the Rainforest Cafe, and when I was a kid, we also went to a couple Aqua Sox games. Like, that's how I was introduced to the Aqua Sox when I was like seven years old and I never went back until last year. So I think I kind of conflated them in my head where I was like, okay, the Aqua Sox and the Rainforest Cafe are this weird collab that's happening. <laughs> I don't think that's true at all. I wish the, the media spread was Rainforest Cafe because <laughs> it's better than the nothing that is currently there. So, um, But I digress. Yeah, dream big, <laughs> dream big. Um, we have another question. This is probably a little more... Uh, for Kate, although I'm sure Josh can help weigh in. Uh, I, as I'm reading it, I realize I forgot to give them credit for who this person is. So hold on and let me find the actual question. Uh, while I do that, I'll talk about the wonders of Twitter and how it gives us uh, great access to our fans and everyone who reads this wonderful blog. Because without you, none of this would be possible. So without further ado, as I scroll through all of Kate's tweets about Logan Gilbert, uh, <laughs> here we go. Okay. The question is from Megan Corcoran. Uh, where do you see guys who are sort of in between the current Mariners and the future, like a Braden Bishop type, fitting into the longer-term plans of the Mariners? As far as the, I mean, as, I've, that tier is kind of like Domingo Santana, Mitch Haniger, Marco Gonzalez, um, you know, the guys who theoretically should have been part of the face of the next new Mariners team, but... Um, there they took the step back um i'm not sure honestly like i 
I think Braden Bishop sticks around. It's just hard because with Bishop and Hanniger, you're looking at, I think their career trajectories might have looked different, except for the injuries. So my guess is they keep them in the fold. They see what they can do with them. If they're not in it next year, maybe some of those guys get traded. Because um, the real the real core of the new team coming down the pipe is Logan Gilbert, Cal Raleigh, um, kind of that crew, uh, J.P. Crawford. So it's guys who are like in their early 20s right now. Um, whereas Hanniger is obviously, Hanniger, Santana are a little more on that other side of 25 and even Bishop to some extent. So I, I see them moving on if the Mariners get a good offer for them in the next couple of years. Interesting. So Kate, do you think those, the mid tier guys like the Braden Bishops are eventually like candidates to be the ones that we trade for like ready big league talent when that day comes? Like, is that the, like the three, you know, mid-level prospects for like the last guy we need in the bullpen, that sort of vibe? Um, no, I don't think so, because I think by that point, they won't be the kind of desirable prospects that other teams want. So, gotcha. um, I, I mean, anybody who is, who has that ability on the farm right now is going to be part of that next core, right? So the rest of the guys are guys that like, aren't really going to be impact pieces for anyone else's farm system. Um, and then the other guys, I think, will have already been moved along or fit into the current thing. So I, I just don't I, I don't see them making a ton of trades. And I, as soon as I say stuff like this, like it always comes crashing down. But I really think that they're going to try to build around what they've got right now um, and just let those other pieces fall off gradually over time. Okay. <laughs> that satisfies me. Does it? Yeah, no, I mean, I because I always defer to you on the miners and the trade stuff because that's much more your alley than mine. So I don't think I mean, they're also- trading any of our key. Maybe, like, you know, they've got a lot of outfielders. Maybe if Kyle Lewis bounces back, they trade him at some point. Um, but I think that his value isn't super high. So, like, what are you even getting back? The thing is, they're going to need some pitching. So whatever excesses there are on the farm will probably be capitalized to try to make pitching. But I think that they're going to try to trade those guys who are in the majors right now, but not maybe necessarily something they need in the long term. So anyone who's an outfielder, maybe Ryan Healy if he comes back. Um, I think next year is also a down year, no matter what they're trying to say to us now. And and that's where they try to move those final pieces and get in some things that will help them contend in 2021 when uh, Logan Gilbert and Cal Raleigh should be ready. Yeah. I, I mean, I really hope that you're right. I don't want to do the whole, like, I mean, this is kind of the running joke and it's become a little annoying, but like, oh, right when the prospect is starting to break out, we trade them. Like, that would be... That would be very infuriating to get, especially when we're getting kind of attached to these guys, yeah. like our Kelnicks and Raleigh's and Julio's. Like, if any of those guys get traded, then it's like, what was the point of any of no, this? No, I would, I would be shocked um, if if those guys don't make their way up through the system as Mariners, because it's not just with Logan Gilbert and Cal Raleigh that they like them as players. Like, they like them as people. They like Cal Raleigh. They, there were other, there have been teams inquiring about Cal Raleigh, and he's, you know, been not made available. So um, I think that definitely they're looking at 
these are guys we're building around for the future. So please, everybody stop with the we're just going to trade them jokes because it's so tired and I, I don't think it's happening. Yeah. My stepdad hit me with one of those the other day. I was very upset. Mm. I was asking him if he's been following Robinson Cano and Diaz and he said a little bit. And he's like, who's the kid we got? And I was like, oh, Kelnick. And he's like, oh, I can't wait for him to get traded. Mm-hmm. And I was, I almost left the, uh, the family event in a huff. <laughs> you should have. <laughs> um, all right, Josh, before we let you go, I have to ask you a very important question. Um, there may or may not be uh, screenshots of a Slack conversation within the Lookout Landing community in which I uh, speculate that Rui Hachimura will have a better NBA career than Zion Williamson. Now, you are a Gonzaga grad. I'm sure you are very attached to Rui and have seen him play many times. So because of that, please tell me that I am correct and that he will have a a long career and Zion will not be as fruitful as our boy Rui. (laughs) Oh, man, Matthew. Oh, man. You might be on old takes exposed. I'm happy to die on this hill. (laughs) I'll do it for the WCC. I have to. Somebody has to. Okay. You couldn't pick, like, Johnny D or... Chris Anderson now, or Johnny one of D- the USD greats? <laughs> no, last I checked, Johnny D was in Poland uh, and just being like very average. So he's done. Chris Anderson is smaller than I am. So uh, he was never going to be anything. Do you remember, this is, wow, getting really inside WCC hoops. But uh, Josh, you remember Gito Coke, the center from USD? Oh, how could I forget? Yeah, he is probably most known now for getting in a fight with Danilo Gallinari in a Euro- in like a European. Oh tournament. my gosh! So I totally fought, missed that. He fought a real NBA player. It was like Netherlands <laughs> versus uh, versus Italy, and they got in like a real fight. Like punches were thrown. But wow, uh, that's fantastic. Yeah, this this Rui Hachimura take was born mostly out of watching him destroy my beloved Toreros. I think he had like thirty two in that game. And he just reminded me a lot of Kawhi Leonard. So I went into the LL Slack and was like, I think he's going to be better than Zion Williamson. And people did not agree. So I was hoping you'd be on my side, but it sounds like you're not. Uh, I don't know anything about basketball, and I know that that's 100% wrong. Okay. Well, Well, I mean, mean, Rui is like, if he, I mean, if he does the Kawhi Leonard thing and actually can shoot, I mean, he's going to be pretty unbelievable. But he's still still so raw. He's still, he's got a long way to go. My thing is, I think Zion ages like Sean Kemp, where he like is really, mm. really good, but then he just loses all of his explosiveness. And if that happens, like then he's then he's nothing. Then he's like, you know, like fat Zach Randolph, which is fine, I guess, but not what you want from the number one overall pick. I just think True. Rui's so athletic that he'll be he'll translate at least to like a long career. Maybe he won't be like amazing, but I think he can stick around with that body and. That size. Although I'm worried about him being on the Wizards because I do not trust the Wizards at all. Yeah, when I saw that, I mean, I was happy for him to go a little higher than projected, but I saw the Wizards and I was like, ugh, that's not a great fit. Not a great fit for anyone, but no. especially. No, never very, be the Wizards. A very uh, projectable, you know, like two years away kind of guy. At yeah. least he's not two years away from being two years away, though, so that's good. That's a great point. That is a great point. Shout out Fran Fischilla. Yes, the god. All right, Josh. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Um, this was lovely. Thank you for all your insight on the Aqua Sox as you are yes, one of thank the actual you so people much. who's in Tell the, the people again night. where they can find you and read your work. Yes. Yeah, for sure. I'm on Twitter at Josh Horton EDH, and uh, you can find all of my uh, musings and feature stories on Aqua Sox. And that's kind of what our, our coverage is tailored towards is more feature stories. So um, less kind of game coverage and, and nitty gritty stuff and more, you know, kind of learning what guys are, are like 
and uh, kind of their stories. So uh, that's at heraldnet.com. And uh, I believe we have an Aquasox tab. You can just click and you'll get a nice little um, little scroll down menu with all of our stories and everything. So, yeah, go check out all, all the stuff that I do. I put a lot of time and effort into it. So I appreciate everyone that, that does that. And we know that the... Um you know, it was a poor draft this year. The Mariners picked highly, unfortunately, but next year is promises to be fairly bonkers, right? The Mariners are in position for a top 10 pick, maybe a top five pick. Uh, they're going to have, it's a loaded draft. There's going to be a ton of talent coming through Everett next year. So mm-hmm. getting on the bandwagon early is recommended. <laughs> Well, I mean, it's always there's always kind of a caveat because if it's a high school guy, he probably skips Everett entirely. He spends, you know, the first year in the complex league and then goes to to West Virginia. And then pitchers are always so fickle because um like George Kirby threw like 88 innings this year. He's not going to go. Right, Isaiah Campbell too. Yeah, yeah, he's I don't think Isaiah Campbell is going to pitch a single inning this this year for the Mariners organization. So, um yeah, well, seeing three pitchers get taken the first three picks, actually four pit five pitchers get taken with the first five picks. I was like, "Oh, that's not <laughs> that's not what I'm looking for, especially college pitchers. That's just um you want position players to get picked so you can watch them every day and uh they're not in any crazy restriction." So, um but I digress. I digress. Well, there should be a good infusion no matter what, just because of their positioning plus the stackedness of the draft. But, yes, those sure. are good things to keep in mind. So jump on that Aquasox bandwagon early and often and let Josh be the one who keeps you up to date on it. For sure. Absolutely. Thanks, Josh. And go Wolves, home of the uh, women's basketball state champions as an eight seed. Never been done before. That's called greatness. <laughs> Has it never been done before? I should know that. I'm, they said, I'm... yeah, no eight seed had ever won um, a state tournament. That's wow. It's eight out of eight seeds, by the way. So they had to beat the one seed and then they just wreaked havoc. True. So. Yeah, I was in the building for that and I was... Oh, wow. Yeah, I, I, I had under my, um, you know, like button-up shirt i had an east like wolf shirt on i ripped it open <laughs> joined the celebration completely unprofessional but oh yeah you have to <laughs> i'm kidding for anyone that doesn't get the sarcasm but <laughs> josh is not kidding i was also there <laughs> I, I had my whole chest painted uh, a wolf head on each shoulder and was howling <laughs> for all four quarters and josh was right there next to me <laughs> no i was on press row and you were nowhere to be found sir no, they, yeah i was banned from press row due to the wolf heads but <laughs> yeah i saw that guy trying to get in i didn't realize that was you <laughs> that was me baby all right well go follow josh uh read all the stuff on the aqua socks and uh hopefully in three years you can impress your friends by saying you knew who miguel perez was before they did absolutely <laughs> for sure all right thanks for having me on guys appreciate uh, it thank you thanks to everyone for listening as well and we'll talk to you next week